when I was in college, I actually took enough courses to get a uh, bachelor's degree in psychology, uh, but I ended up getting my actual major in religion or theology, and uh, that was because I transferred from one school to another, and it turned out that uh, I had taken so many courses in that area that it was, uh, it was better for me to graduate, to go ahead and make that my official major. So I didn't follow the pattern that they uh, prescribed in order to get an official major in psychology, but I have that many hours. I have like 30 hours in psychology, and so you might not have known that probably didn't. But uh, I loved it. I really enjoyed it. Now, I don't know if I would enjoy it now because there's a lot of craziness going on uh, in that field right now. But there was a study that was done that I want to relate to you today. And you might not like this because it might sound like they were really, really being mean to this dog that I'm about to tell you about. But you just need to be aware that a lot of experimentation in the past has gone on with both humans and animals that wasn't entirely humane. Um, so there is a, uh, a type of behavioral device called a Skinner box. And uh, basically, you can train pigeons in one of these. You can train rats. And I trained a rat. We called him Ezekiel. And I trained him how to press a bar and get water. Um, and uh, me and my lab partner did. Uh, and uh, you, you do that through a process of rewards. Uh, now, you know this. Uh, those of you that are parents, you deal with your kids. You reward them or you punish them. And uh, there's another type of uh, behavioral uh, management tool called negative reinforcement. And actually, this works the best, especially for older children and teenagers, but I won't get into that. Believe it or not, punishment actually works the worst. Rewards work better than punishments do in order to shape behavior. But they tried this, uh, this particular strategy. They took a dog and they put him in a, a Skinner box. Now, one of the things about a Skinner box has a variety of different tools. Uh, it has water, it has a feeding dish, and it has the ability to electronically trigger uh, when the food will come down or when the water will come out. So in the case of our rat, my rat named Ezekiel, um, the, uh, there was a sound when you triggered the water. And what we did is we kept him from getting water throughout an evening. And then he would smell the water. And every time he would get closer to the receptacle for the water, we would pop it so that he would get a little bit of water. He would smell it, and he would go over, and, and you know he would get the water. Long story short, we shaped him to where there was a little bar that came out, and he would bring his little paw up, his little rat paw, and he would press the bar, and he would get water. And then we shaped him so that the only time he would do that is when a light went on. The light would go on, he'd scurry over there, he'd get up on his little hindquarters, he'd press the little bar, and he'd get his water, right? So he was motivated. Now, on the floor of a Skinner box is, uh, it's, it's like uh, metal bars, right? And um, you have the ability to put uh, a, a, a light amount of electrical current through that, um, just enough to make the animal uncomfortable. Now, we weren't supposed to use that at all, but I'll be honest with you, there were a couple of times I was so frustrated with Ezekiel because he was like, um, Ezekiel, yeah, that's what we call him, the hoary-headed prophet, because he was on the other side of the, the box that, I, you know, I, I popped that a couple of times and he jumped up and looked around like, what just happened, right? Well, actually, like I said, punishments don't work as well as rewards because that ended up setting us back several steps. Back to the experiment that I read about. They put a dog in one of these, uh, these Skinner boxes or cages. They designed it for a dog. It had a, it had a top on it that you could remove 
and it was larger, and they put a barrier between one side and the other. And they had the ability to electrify the floor on only one side. So here's what they did. They electrified the floor. The dog immediately was smart enough to just jump the barrier and get to the other side. So he's cool. They electrified the floor on this side. He jumped the barrier, went to the other side. No problem. Now, here's where the mean part comes in. Then they, they, they put a roof on it, all right? They locked down the top. Now, he's not all hunkered in there. He could stand up. And then they electrified the floor. Now, again, this wasn't enough to electrocute the dog. It just, have you ever had just one of those uncomfortable currents? You, have you ever put your tongue on a battery? Kids, don't do this. You won't like it, right? Nine-volt battery has both poles right here, and you stick your tongue on it. Ugh. If you get one that is not quite charged up all the way, it's been used quite a bit, you have this little bit of a current there that's just like, it almost has a taste to it, right? That's the best way for me to describe the amount of current we're talking about here. Um, nonetheless, I don't know if they would still do this type of an experiment today. Uh, so, uh, you know, I don't want you to feel terribly bad for the dog, and I'm not telling you that I agree with this experiment. I'm just about to tell you what happened with this dog because I think you can apply it to yourself and other people uh, and figure it out. So they put him in the box and they put the top on. So now there's a barrier there, but he can't jump over to the other side. Then they electrified the floor. So he's trying to jump up and down and eventually he can't do anything. Now they just did this several times. And what he did is he just kind of cowered over in the corner. So then they took the top off. Now it's clear that he can jump over to the other side. The top is off just like it was before. They electrified the floor. Guess what happened? He did not jump over. He cowered in the corner. It's called failure to strive. It's what happens right before people die. They give up. Our current set of crises, that's the plural for crisis, instead of saying crises, our current set of crises is causing some people to fail to fight, failure to strive. But what I want to tell you is we must overcome, and that's the very first, uh, that's number one in your notes, we must overcome. It's absolutely imperative. You've got to go out. You've got to fight every day. You have to overcome. Now, that's in the natural, but believe it or not, that's in the spiritual as well. Jesus said, the person who endures to the end will be saved. If you had faith when you were a teenager and it started trickling out as you became uh, you know, a 20-something and you sort of lost your faith by the time you were in your 30s, it's questionable whether your faith was ever really legitimate because faith that is real will persevere. It will endure. That's just a quality of faith. Now, that doesn't mean that there won't be times of doubt, that there won't be times of, uh, you know, feeling differently, okay? Faith is not a feeling. Faith is kind of like, uh, you could say it's, it's sight for your spiritual side, right? It's your ability to see into the spiritual Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It's just a strong conviction regarding the truth, right? Faith that is legitimate, faith that is authentic, faith that is real will persevere. 
Right now, there are a whole lot of tests to our faith. And we're seeing for some people that they are kind of becoming pagans. They're sort of, that's just kind of the old way of looking at people that don't have faith in the one true God. People are failing to strive in certain respects. Well, the question is, what voice are you listening to? And don't you realize that God has removed the roof? And you do have the ability to get away from that negative, that noxious stimulus, that punishing stimulus. Because even those who get sick are going to get well. The overwhelming majority of people are going to get well. And those who have Jesus, even if they pass away, they pass into the presence of God, never to be sick, never to endure pain, never to see death again. Amen? So we have overwhelming victory promised to us. That's number two. Victory is promised. But in all these things, the Apostle Paul writes, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. You're not alone. Say, I'm not alone. alone. I want to read you a passage of scripture. And I read this right at the outset of our current coronavirus situation. But uh, this is something that wouldn't be a bad idea for you to read regularly, once a week, once a month, I don't know. Um, But this is in Romans chapter 8, and I'm going to start with verse 26. I'm going to read all the way down to verse 39, and you're going to hear verse 37 right uh, toward the end of this. That's, uh, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. So listen to what it says, because I think this will be encouraging to you. This is the word of God. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes, that means the Holy Spirit is praying, for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Don't don't lose that. We know all things work together for the good of those who love God. How many things work together for you if you love God? Who are called according to his purpose. What is his purpose? Here it is. It's verse, uh, verse 29 and 30. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he, that is Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. That's God's purpose, to conform you to the image of his son, to prepare you for eternity with him. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Verse 31. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Finish the sentence. If God is for us, what's the answer to that? Nobody. Nobody can stand against God. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him that is with Jesus graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? That's God's chosen. It is God who justifies. That means he makes us right. Who is he to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who 
indeed is interceding for us. So the Holy Spirit intercedes, Jesus intercedes. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, that's trouble, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? So can the coronavirus separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord? Can riots separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord? Can financial problems separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord? No, can relationship problems separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord? Nothing can separate you from God's love. And if God loves you, and he does, then you're, you can't be defeated, right? That's very, very powerful. Victory is promised. Number three, you can't win if you won't fight. See, here's the thing. Victory is promised, but God won't fight for you. He fights with you. Amen. He doesn't fight for us. He fights with us. He fights by our side. In other words, he doesn't fight instead of you. He fights in you and with you and through you. Listen to what the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Timothy 6.12. He said, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and to which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. What's the good confession? Jesus Christ is Lord. Say it. If you mean it, the Bible says that's what saves you. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Can you say that and mean it? That's all that is required to get you saved. Now, this assumes that you believe. You're not just saying something because the preacher said to say something. Um, there is an Old Testament example, I think, for us here of people who would fight and people who wouldn't fight. We know that the Israelites were saved, delivered from Egyptian slavery. God sent Moses, 10 plagues, took a while, took a lot of drama, brought the people out, sent them through uh, on dry ground through the, uh, the Sea of Reeds, and, and in that same sea, uh, buried their enemies. But you know what? All the time the people were in the wilderness, God was before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He provided water for them. He provided manna, which was literally bread from heaven every single day. When they complained and they wanted meat, he sent quail in, which I don't know if you've ever eaten quail. It's actually pretty good. Um, it is. Have you ever had quail? Who's ever had quail? They have it at Gloria's, right? It's good. They do a good job there. In fact, I might go after here and give me some quail. All right. <laughs> Man, that made me hungry. Okay. So, you know, I mean, we're talking hundreds of thousands of people, probably, mil you know, a million plus people, and God sent enough quail in there to, to feed them. Now they gluttoned out and they made God mad. They made God mad a lot. In fact, Moses had to intercede for them. Moses had to pray for them on a number of occasions because God said, I'm going to wipe these people out and start over with you, Moses, because they just will not listen. They do not believe. And Moses continued to pray for them. And, you know, he was kind of uh, being a Jesus before there was Jesus. Now he didn't die for them, but he did pray for them and he saved them for a while. But you know what? They just went on in their unbelief. Well, they finally made it to the edge of the promised land, a land that had been promised to their forefather Abraham hundreds of years before. 
And God said, I'm going to give you this land, but that didn't mean they wouldn't have to fight. They did have to fight. So they sent 12 spies over into the land. The spies saw the people of the land. They came back. 10 of the spies said, there is no way. There are giants in the land. We seemed like grasshoppers in their sight, and so it seemed to us. In other words, they looked at themselves, they compared themselves by these very, very big people that were in the land, and they said, there's no way, there's nothing we can do, we can't do this. Well, see, when you're at your wit's end, when you don't have any ability, that's when God says, good. If you can do it, you take credit for it. When you can't do it and God says, but I want you to do it, then you say, okay, God, can't do this unless you're with me. Can't do this unless you help me. Can't get through this unless you're going to fight with me. And that's what God promised that he was going to do. Well, Joshua and Caleb were the only two of the 12 spies that came back and said, whatever. Do you know who our God is? Of course we can take them. Let's go in and let's fight them and let's take them. The people were so upset and they wept all night and they were going to stone Moses. I am not kidding you. The guy that saved them from Egyptian slavery, they were going to kill him and they were going to go back to Egypt and be slaves. Crisis makes people crazy, doesn't it? Caleb and Joshua said, no, we, we, we can do it. Well, God came down, you know, again and again and terrified the people and, you know, saved Moses from the people when they were so upset like this. And so finally, God speaks through Moses and says, you know what? You people have accused me of bringing you out into the wilderness to die. In fact, the, the most serious accusation that the people made was, you, you brought us out of Egypt where we had plenty of food and water. You brought us out here to die. In fact, you brought us out here so our children would die. You brought us out here. God, you're mean. You're, you're evil. You're actually not good. You're evil. You brought us out here to kill our children. And God said, oh, Really? Here's what's going to happen. Just as you've said, you are going to die in this wilderness. I will not let you go into this land that I've promised. But your children, who you said I brought out here to kill, they will go in, they will fight, and they will take the land. And that's exactly what happened. Every person over the age of 20, that was fighting age, died in the wilderness over a period of 40 years. Now, historically, the Israelites had uh, the ability to have a great deal of longevity. They lived for quite a while. In fact, Moses, even at this point, lived till he was 120. Joshua didn't lead the people into the promised land until he was 80 years old. Wow. Okay. But a lot of these people died younger out there in that wilderness because they failed to strive. They failed to believe. They failed to trust God. They failed to let him empower them. And take the land of promise. God has made promises to this church. God has made promises to you if you'll pay attention. He's made promises to all of his people if we'll just pay attention to what he has said. And if we'll hang on. And there's plenty of indication in scripture that God makes promises and then makes us wait for a ridiculously long period of time before those promises are delivered. But that's so we'll put our trust in him and not in ourselves, in our own strength. So that's what happened 40 years later after all of the elders who didn't believe died except for Joshua and Caleb. They were the only two older people that lived. 
all the rest of them died. And then those young people, those that were under 20 when the spies went in, now they're virile, they're older. The oldest of them would be 60, right? They'd be, or, or 59, be about my age. And all the way down, they went in and they took the land under Joshua. They fought, though. They had to fight. And that's what the book of Joshua is all about. So you should understand this, then, this principle. You can't win if you won't fight. You have to fight. And number four, you can't fight if you won't train. You see, I have been teaching karate for 35 years, or 32 years, I think, actually. Um, I started studying karate when I was uh, a kid. I was older than the kids in my karate class. Those of you, if you'll stick with it, man, God can do some cool stuff. But I didn't, I was, uh, I think, 14 is when I, I first started studying karate. And I went with my, my stepdad. And it was because I was getting in fights every day. But when I went to college, I, I kind of was, was out of it for a while. And then I came back after I graduated from college. I came back to my hometown, which is Phoenix, Arizona. And I found out there was a karate club just like ours. In fact, ours is patterned after it. I'm still, you're still memorizing the same scriptures that we memorized in my karate club in 1985. <laughs> I've been doing this for a minute. All right. So those Proverbs that you guys memorize, yeah, that, that, I didn't pick those. My sensei picked those, and we're still memorizing them, okay? Um, but when I came to that, that class, that club, it was a wonderful uh, Christian-based program, and that's basically that's what I do with these guys. But through the years, I have invited plenty of people because I started teaching. My sensei had this theory. You don't need a black belt if you're not going to teach. You don't need a black belt so you can run around and tell people, hey, I've got a black belt. He said, if you're not going to pass this on, if you're not going to teach, there's no reason for me to promote you to black belt. So while I still had a brown belt, I hadn't promoted to black belt yet, I came out here to Texas. Um, I started going to Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth, which is where I have my Master of Divinity degree with biblical languages. And while I was there, I was called to my very first church, which is First Baptist Church of the Colony, and I was their uh, youth minister for four and a half years. While I was there, the ministry that I started there in 1988 was a karate club. Kids, you know those pads that I bring out for you guys to hit? Those big red pads? Yeah. I bought those in 1988-89. I've got, a, I've got one red pad and, and two black pads, I think, that are later, but there are two of those red pads that I bought way back then. I've had them for a long time. Well, in that time period, I was still a brown belt, and I was te you know, teaching that class, and you know, I was going back to Arizona about once a year, and I finally got my black belt so that I could be independent and uh, you know, actually call it my karate club. Because when I promoted people, I actually had to submit their promotion to my sensei in Phoenix, and then he signed off on it, and then I promoted them. Um, but in that time, all that training, 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 and teaching kids, teaching kids to pray, teaching kids to memorize scripture, teaching kids theology. You know, when you come to my karate club, you learn Trinitarian theology, don't we, Craig? It's pretty sophisticated stuff. But we do it in such a way that kids can understand it and kids can receive it. And I won't go into all of that, but I'm just telling you, we're training. When you're here at church, I hope you're not just here to be entertained, you're here to train, amen? So, but through all that time that I've been teaching, I will invite people to karate. Now, your typical response from a male, 
I already know how to fight. Oh, do you? Well, happy day. Yeah, I can handle myself just fine. Okay. Well, I guess you'll find out, won't you? <laughs> no, I can, I can fight. There's something in the male psyche that causes us to convince ourselves that, yeah, well, I can just do it. It's just natural. I just, it's really not. It's actually not. Is when I put somebody in a ring with somebody who's been trained and they haven't been trained, they really don't know what they're doing. Now, that doesn't mean they can't get a few blows in or whatever, but it's just not the same as, as putting them in the ring with somebody that has actually trained. Now, I think that this is the case. The reason I went to this long karate illustration um, is because I think this is the case with a lot of people when it concerns the Bible. People think they know the Bible. It's funny. You know, I, I had a woman tell me one time, I forgot more of the Bible than you know. I'm like, oh, really? Well, there you go. Okay. There's just this sense that, no, I just have a natural ability. I just have a natural intuition. I've, you know, I've read a few verses and, and, and you know, I went to church for a, you know, a while when I was younger. I, I got that. I'm dealing with that. It's, I, I, and what you find out is what many of us has, have found out as we've moved through teenage years and up into the 20s, the more you learn, the more you realize you do not know. Amen? So I'm 58 now, and I realize that I know far less than I thought I knew when I was 28. And I'm more cautious. You think, well, you know, you're a black belt. You've been teaching karate for 32 years or whatever. You think I go swaggering into any situation? I, listen, it's just taught me not to be a fool. It's taught me to evaluate every situation. And above all, it's taught me to trust the Lord. Because the reality is, I could encounter some 20-something, and, you know, no matter how much I train or whatever, you lose speed or quickness, really, as you get older. And so you can think you can do the same things, but you're just not where you were when you were that age. So that's where wisdom has to come in, right? Now, I'm telling you these examples because I want you to understand that you need to train spiritually. That's why I, I, I did three different sessions in here on spiritual warfare. It's absolutely imperative that you put yourself in a position to train. So what do we do with that, all right? Very quickly, A, B, C, and D. Number one, have a daily workout in the Word. Letter A, have a daily workout in the Word. You need to be in this book every single day. Amen? Don't make excuses. Be in this book every single day. Um, Felix, if you can go to the announcements and find the slide that tells them how to get on my daily, uh, my daily Bible uh, uh, text would be that would be great i send out a passage of scripture every single day uh to people who are on this list if you don't know where to go this is just one possibility get the Version bible app and there's a million bible plans on there that you can you can get yourself involved with okay just start reading through the new testament a chapter a day right but you need to have a daily workout in the word here it is right here all right, text T-H-E-W-O-R-D, the word, to 94000, and you'll get a, a passage sent to you. And you know what? I even send the link so that you can just click the link, and it will take you right to that passage. 
right? If it is a part of a passage, then it'll take you to Bible Gateway. And if it's the whole passage, it'll take you to uh, the, the version. Um, and if you don't have the version Bible app, it'll, it'll send you to your web browser, okay? So I just want you, to, I want you to actually do this. I don't want you to just listen to me. I want you to do something about this. Oh, well, I know enough of the Word. I don't need that. No, you need to be in the Word every day. Amen? If you're on Twitter, if you're on Facebook, if you're on, you know, whatever social media that, that you deal with, if you're paying attention to the media at all, you are receiving information constantly. And it's not all true. You do realize that, right? Opinions are like noses. Everybody's got one. Some of them are big. Some of them are small. Some of them are crooked, you know, right? And that's what you're getting. There was a lady that just resigned from the New York Times. I think her name was Barry Weiss. But uh, she resigned because they originally hired her for the purpose of diversity, to get a diversity of opinions coming into the New York Times, which is not what you get anymore. But what she discovered was they were not allowing her to bring anybody with a diversified or different opinion than the standard line, the standard leftist line that is being pursued by the majority of media outlets and certainly the New York Times. So she just, long resignation letter, just said, you know what? I can't do this. Now, she wasn't some typical conservative. She wasn't, uh, you know, a, a red hat wearing MAGA conservative, uh, although, you know, just because someone supports Trump doesn't mean they're a conservative, by the way. Um, but nonetheless, what this tells you is media that we have trusted in the past is simply filtering in accordance with their agenda. You're not getting the truth. You're getting opinion. Back in the day, who remembers Walter Cronkite? Walter Cronkite. That was a guy we could trust. That was back when the news would present multiple sides of an issue. They were just giving you what's happening. That's not what you get anymore. It doesn't matter if it's Fox or CNN. You're getting an opinion. You're getting an agenda. You're not getting the truth. You have to sort through what they're saying in order to discover the truth. You have to look up the facts to figure all this stuff out. And if there are those that come out with any sort of opinion that doesn't align, then they all rise up and, you know, it's cancel culture. They just, they get rid of it. So there were a number of videos that came out on YouTube by, uh, and, and not everything that everybody said in these videos was, was necessarily um, factual completely, but they were competing ideas or opinions to the, the standard uh, opinion that you're getting regarding the coronavirus. And I'm telling you, YouTube just got rid of them. No, you're not allowed to have this. We, want, we don't want people to think. You're not permitted to think. We don't want you to think. We want you to do what we tell you to do. Friend, the only way around that is have your own mind. All right? Spend less time on... So I, I'm checking Facebook once a day now. Right? I still have Instagram on my phone, although people have found ways to politicize Instagram too. Right? Um, but most of the time, most Instagram posts, most of my Instagram posts, although I've, I've posted uh, screenshots of a couple of pieces of data recently, primarily because I don't have Facebook on my phone anymore. I don't want to carry it around, and I can share my Instagram with my Facebook and kind of get it out there to everybody. But the point is, Spend less time on social media. Spend less time with the media. 
Spend more time in the Word. So number one, have a daily workout in the Word. Number two, pray like breathing. That's what John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, said prayer is like. Prayer is like breathing. You know, that's one of the first things that we have to learn to do in karate. Pastor Craig is usually the one who is up here leading the kids in our workout. And uh, he's got them to where, can you remember when we first started and we were trying to get these kids to do 50 or 100 jumping jacks? I mean, they were just falling apart. They're, <laughs> There's still a few of them that are like that. But anyway. But now, I mean, they power through. Miss Jubilee, dude, you're, you stay up with your dad, man. This girl gets it going on. She's my orange belt, the highest ranking belt other than her dad in my class. But, you know, now they get through. But at the end, we do this little, we do this little exercise where you raise your arms... Breathe in through your nose, and then push down, breathe out through your mouth. You have to learn to control your breathing. Believe it or not, it seems like it is autonomic. You breathe without thinking about it. But when you panic, you need to control your breathing. When you're working out really hard with weights or aerobically, you've got to learn to control your breathing. Friends, prayer is like breathing. You need to learn to control that. So what happens when you get really angry? You know what happens when I get really angry? My mind just goes, it's like blank. It's almost like, have you ever you know, heard of people seeing red? I almost see red. I just go into instinct mode. Well, that's, that's what's actually happening. When you get angry or when you get scared, you go into a very, very animalistic fight or flight mode. But that is exactly when we have got to keep our focus on the Lord and be praying without ceasing. Amen? So when I'm the most scared, that's when I need to be praying. When I'm the most angry, kids, when you're angry with your brother, your sister, or heaven forbid, one of your parents, that's when you need to start praying, Lord, help me. Lord, help me to control my temper right now. Lord, help me not to say anything that is going to make my mom say, I'm going to slap that out of your mouth. My mom used to say, I'm going to slap that look right off of your face. And a couple of times she did. I don't know what the look was because I didn't have a mirror, but I've, I've discovered that I wear what I'm thinking on my face. And I used to really do that when I was a kid. So I don't know what my face was saying to my mom, but whatever it was, it was pop. And I was... Okay, now, I'm, now I have shock on my face. What just happened? I can remember the only time. So my stepdad uh, was my stepdad. So I don't share his genetics. Otherwise, I would weigh about 75 more pounds than I do right now. And I would be a lot stronger. And all my weightlifting, oh my goodness, y'all would be scared of me. All right. But my genetics aren't that. So I work out and work out and work out. And this is what I look like. Um, but my stepdad, just really, really big guy, very, very naturally strong. His name was Bill. I could never call him dad. I always just called him Bill. Um, he and his dad operated a mine. They mined silica, which is actually, it's like glass, right? When you melt it, it's like glass. And that was used to smelt copper. That is, it was used in the process of processing copper. And at that point in time, this is the 70s, uh, Arizona was the largest place to obtain copper in the world. And that changed over time and they stopped mining. But he did all sorts of things related to that mine all of which were demonstrations that he was just naturally, ridiculously strong. So I learned how to swing a sledgehammer and break rocks. 
Now, if you look at some old movie, you think that that's what they do in a prison yard. But see, what happened was they had to, they had to what they called blast. They blew up the rock in this open pit mine, and then they bulldozed the rock up into a big pile, and then they took a skip loader, and they picked the, that rock up, and they dumped it in a truck, and then they hauled the truck to the, uh, to hauled the, the rock to the smelter. So my, my stepdad did all of those things, that whole process. Uh, he knew how to blast. He knew how to not just work on a, uh, not just operate a bulldozer, but work on a, a Caterpillar D9, all right? Now, this is before they had the D10. They have the D10. Just look this up online. I can remember being, uh, I don't know, 12, 13 years old. I could stand upright and walk underneath the underbelly of this, uh, this giant D9 Caterpillar uh, bulldozer. Unbelievable. They, they worked on it one time. They changed the heads on it, and they changed the pistons on it. I got to take home one of the pistons. The pistons are made of aluminum. They're this big, and without the, the tie rod attached to the piston, they weighed 65 pounds apiece. Huge! They had to lift the heads off of this thing with the loader because there's no way a, 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 you know, one or two men could even move those. Hey, huge. My dad did all this stuff. I watched him break the lug nuts off of an 18-wheeler one time. Right? He's tightening the lug nuts, and he would just... And just break the lug nut off. Okay, yeah, just naturally very, very strong individual. Okay, when we have natural strength, we have a tendency to rely on our natural strength, and there is a tendency to admire that. And obviously, the way I'm telling the story, I'm showing you that I admire that as well. But nonetheless, you and I need to train, even if we have natural strength like that. Even if we have natural ability, we need to train. We need to learn to pray like breathing. Well, my stepdad took me to karate, and we studied karate together. And although he was very capable in a fight, and he told me about a lot of different fights that he got into when he was younger. Uh, he was in the Air Force, and Marines always like to fight the Air Force guys because Air Force guys were considered weenies, and the Marines are taught to you know, be devil dogs and go out there and listen. When you're my dad... My stepdad, they loved that. They would go out and they would start and get into fights with it. But he still trained with me. And you know what's interesting? About a decade ago, he sent me, we had to, we had to take notes. Our system of karate, Chinese Kempo, was, was more complicated. There were multiple, multiple, multiple self-defense techniques for each belt. And we had to actually take notes and keep notebooks in order to even keep up with what was going on. He sent me the notebook that he and I kept uh, those years when we were training together. So even though he had this natural ability and this natural strength, he was willing to train with me. We trained together, right? And that's what you and I should understand that even as a family, I, this is what's, what's wonderful uh, about you know, Pastor Craig bringing, bringing uh, his kids in here. Um, or Rodriguez is bringing your kids in here. You're bringing them in and you're involving yourselves in something with your kids as a family. You can go out. You can help them to practice. You're raising them up to be young warriors. But all of us need to have that mindset, all right? So we need to have that daily workout in the Word. We need to pray like breathing. And then number three, or number C, letter C, we need to avoid junk. Now, that's just a, that's, a, you know, good advice for those of you uh, that like to eat candy all the time. I won't get you to raise your hand if you like to eat candy. An occasional reward is not going to hurt you. 
But friends, the reason why one of the primary causes of sickness and death in this country is diabetes. Do you know what diabetes is? It's type 2 diabetes combined with obesity. Now, some people have a physiological tendency toward that. And if I weren't careful, I know that diabetes, type 2 diabetes is in my family. It's on my dad's side. If I weren't careful, and at times I have to back off and be more careful about certain things, then I know that I would have developed that by this age, right? So you need to avoid junk. But what I'm talking about in the spiritual is you need to avoid junk entertainment, Now, this may be outright evil. There's just some wicked stuff out there, and you don't need to be letting it over the threshold into your house. I mean, it's just filthy, and your kids don't need to see that, or it's violent. You know what I I find amazing? Is in many Christian households, they they will try to avoid the, 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 the sexually filthy stuff, but they don't mind all the violence. Just random violence. Just let their kids see all this bloody violence. Listen, you need to avoid all of that. It's, it's negative. It's bad for your, your thinking. And the other thing is just look at what you're, what you're um, exposing your children to when it concerns their cartoons. Sit down and watch those cartoons with them. It may be entertaining them, but what are those cartoons saying to your kids? Those cartoons have a message. And when your kid becomes 10 or 12 or 14 and all of a sudden you're like, what happened to you? Where did you get all that? Well, the school has them almost eight hours a day. You've been sitting them in front of these cartoons this whole time. Basically, the culture, which is increasingly anti-Christian, is raising your kids. You need to raise your kids. So it's not just a matter of you spending time in the Word every day. It's you spending time as, as a family in the Word or with your kids in the Word, right? Avoid junk entertainment, mindless chatter, just talking about stuff that doesn't even matter. Time-wasting activity. There's just a lot of stuff that we do. And, and you need some downtime. Don't get me wrong. And there's, there's playtime and all this. But, you know, even when I play movies in here, um, we played a movie in here on Friday and I was grateful. We had a lot of kids. It was a lot of fun. I laughed my head off. I saw this movie in the theater, and I forgot how funny it was and how poignant it was. This thing brought me to tears a couple of times. It's the movie Onward. Has anybody seen this movie? Gosh, there were so many lessons being taught there that were healthy and that were positive, not necessarily Christian lessons. But listen, all wisdom ultimately comes from the Lord. Amen? So, you know, don't just expose your kids to mindless junk. Pay attention to what you're watching and what they're watching. Um, I don't have to waste time in order to have fun. You can have fun with your kids and be doing stuff that's productive and that's healthy. You can have fun and do stuff that's productive and healthy. And number four, and finally, this might seem like the same as pray like breathing, but it's actually a little bit different. Focus your mind on God constantly. You need to maintain a constant awareness of the presence of God. As one devotional writer had it, in fact, this is the title of the book. I think his name is Brother Lawrence. Practice the presence of God. Do you know what keeps me from doing stupid stuff sometimes? It's just being aware that God is there. Just being aware that he's paying attention to me. And that that's not what he wants me thinking. That's not. I find myself sometimes my mind just goes off on some tangent. And then I'm like, Lord, what am I thinking? 
And I'm not saying that in vain. See, some people use the word Lord, oh, Lord, and they don't mean anything. It's just using that name, that word in vain. But when I say Lord, I mean Lord, as in my God, my King. I, I know you're here with me. What am I thinking right now? Where's my mind going right now? Practice the presence of God constantly. So we have been given the promise that we will overwhelmingly overcome, but we need to actually fight and we need to actually train to fight. And when we do, we will receive the benefits and the blessings of that. Let's pray together, and then we're going to sing one more song, take up our offering, and we'll be done for the day. Father, I come before you now in the name of Jesus. I pray for those who were here this morning uh, in person and online, and those who will uh, watch later that, uh, that you have already spoken to each of us. And I pray that our hearts will be open to the redirection that you have for us. I pray, Father, that those that have been uh, filled with strife and, uh, or filled with panic and fear or filled with anger or just ready to give up, just in despair, that you will give them strength and encouragement from this word this morning. And that they will begin to train. They will put themselves in the word each day. They will pray like they're, they're, they're breathing. They'll avoid all of the junk and they will practice being in your presence. And in so doing, they will know that they overwhelmingly conquer because you love them. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You need to pray. I need to talk to somebody. Pastor Craig will be up here. I'll be up here.